Welcome to the Wellness Pie Shop, where each episode we delve into a different slice of wellness in hopes of nourishing ourselves. With the help of special guests and a little of our own irreverent insight, we'll dive into some of the ingredients that make up the whole of Wellness Pie. We're your hosts, Dina Searden. And I'm Rachel Paez. Thanks for joining us. Now grab a cup of tea, sit back and relax, and enjoy a piece of Wellness Pie. Welcome to our second episode, and tonight we are having Julie Cannon join us. It'll be the first time we have a guest on, and I'm really looking forward to it. I'm so excited. I think we have the perfect guest. I think she is incredible and has a lot of um, expertise, I think, in in some of the conversations and the questions that we're going to be asking today, and I'm just so excited. I'm, I'm really excited, too. Julie is a dear friend of mine from Atlanta, Georgia. And why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thanks so much, uh, Dina and Rachel, for having me tonight. I'm really excited to see where this conversation goes. I'm not really sure yet. We don't but, either. You know, we'll get there. Um, what I do uh, for a living primarily is I'm a uh, mental health counselor working with university students in the Atlanta area and have been doing that for about um, 15 years. Um, I can't believe I've been in it that long, but I'm having a pretty good time with it. Um, um, Dean and I, right before I took this job, um, I was working as a hospice chaplain for about eight years and um, that's where we met. And the thing of doing hospice chaplaincy and also doing what we called clinical pastoral education, which was some of the training I did to um, get into that, was really some of the best training I had, even for doing therapy, because it helped me uh, take a look at some of my own issues, my own biases, discomfort, and begin to really embrace the, the wealth of resources that people have and also appreciate that um, you know, we have a common humanity that transcends you know, whatever our labels are. I just lost my 18 and a half year old dog, my toy poodle, Liza, um, not too long ago. And you know, I've been able to walk with some of my other friends who have their fur babies to have rituals to say goodbye and to say, you know, what that has really meant to us. And so, uh, so I keep that um, part of my life alive um, there. I've also worked in inpatient settings and outpatient settings. And my first job um, after graduate school, well, my first job after graduate school was um, working in the cosmetics area of a department store in Florida because <laughs> um, I didn't have a sugar daddy or sugar mama. So I had to make some money while I was looking for a job. Um, and I did that for a while and I got a job at an adolescent psychiatric hospital and um, did that for about a year. And then I kind of moved into higher ed. So. Um, wow. That's a, that's a lot. <laughs> it. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I take a very holistic view in my work. I, you know, doing the, some theological training, some spiritual direction training was really important to me. Um, 
personally to um, have some new kind of experiences that were different than the religious training I had um, growing up. Um, but I've also just gotten a certification as a national board certified health and wellness coach oh. and am really beginning to lean into that side of the holistic care of, you know, I'm not a nutritionist or I'm not prescriptive, but like recognizing how important, you know, our biochemistry and our physiology and what we eat and drink, um, the roles that they play in our mental wellness. So I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to keep learning and have some fun. What I, what I appreciate is that um, you talked about wellness and nutrition and all that stuff. And of course we are the wellness pie shop. So it's um, <laughs> perfect. I can see why she, she's yeah. the perfect guest. She's perfect. <laughs> and my favorite dessert is pie. So oh, even there better. You go. Pies are pretty simple. There's a crust and there's filling. And we want to know, you've told us a little bit about your background and about the fact that you've got some spiritual training, some pastoral training, some mental health training. Um, you know, what I wonder is what led you to that? Um, I would, I just have to come clean. I mean, I'm sure there'll be some mental health workers that'll listen to this, um, but <laughs> Yeah, I think I was, I think I fit squarely in the category of I needed to fix myself, or at least I thought I needed to fix myself. Like I was really searching and really confused because I was one of those folks who I'd never recommend this, but went straight from undergrad school. Um, like I, I got a biology degree in undergrad and I did that really quickly. I did it in three years. Um, and then I went straight into grad school and I was really young. And, you know, I had had for a long time some feeling of like in, in my sort of uh, conservative evangelical kind of background, we would call it like a sense of calling into the world, you know, calling, like wanting to make a difference in the world, that, that traditional way. Um, in the tradition that I grew up in, um, you know, being a pastor or a minister wasn't an option back then for a woman. And I wasn't really sure that's what I wanted to do, but still, you know, I wanted to be a force for love and compassion in the world and had some therapy experiences that were, um, you know, positive and decided to head in that direction. I loved psychology and um, felt like this would be a good fit for me. It, in, in many ways it was, but I was very challenged. I mean, especially being a young woman who had just graduated from a Baptist women's college. <laughs> My professors gave me the hardest time. And I went to the University of Alabama, uh, had a great experience there. And um, I learned to, you know, toughen up a little bit, but also how to be able to talk about what my values are. And so I think that that laid the groundwork for me to really feel if there was a sense of calling to, to be with people wherever they are and develop a really strong interest as time has gone on in intersectionality and diversity and the nuance of what makes us us and that that's not a, a just a one-time thing that develops throughout our lifetime. And so that's how I got there. Um, it was tough. It was tough getting into the field. Like I said, I was young. 
I was working with, uh, you know, adolescents and their families, and I was, you know, not much older than them. And it wasn't pretty all the time, but I had a good supervisor, and um, it was in a wilderness setting, too. I didn't mention that, and I loved that. Um, being outdoors. That was back in the days when insurance was paying for longer stays, really. And um, so these kids would um, go to school there and might stay there for a month. So um, I learned that um, nature is um, really a place that I think I, I and a lot of the kids found some freedom to, to be honest and to um, just uh, explore um, what they needed to and uh, to to heal. I think both Dina and I can kind of um, agree with that nature kind of benefit that we see with some of the people we work with doing equine therapy and how there's just a grounding effect that comes with just being outside. You know, I my grandparents and my parents and before them grew up on farms and nobody had to go to the gym. <laughs> I mean, they worked out all day. And so, you know, I, I'm a first generation college student. So to have to suddenly um, realize, I didn't really think about it when I was younger, but now as a middle-aged woman, like sitting all day is brutal. And, and so I'm really finding, I mean, I've always been like, I, I used to work in the garden with my dad and my, my mother has taught me so much but I go outside constantly. I mean, this afternoon when I was feeling a little bit nervous about today, I took a beach towel out in the backyard and I just moved all the pine cones that have fallen and I just laid out there for about 20 minutes. You know, I mean, and I, I found that that ties into, when you talk about like values, am I, you could say like an appreciation of beauty or like gratitude of like this, it's very nature-based for me. All, almost always, um, when I take a moment to list something that I'm thankful for, um, and believe me, that's after I've listed dozens of things that I'm stressed out about, but I'm not, but it occurs to me, okay, it, there's always something, um, in nature or some kind thing that someone has said or done for me that I can um, bring to mind. And so that ties into another value of mine, which is really love and, um, in my, especially in like my interpersonal relationships, um, having that reciprocal relationship um, sustains me. And I, I wonder, you know, you said you came from a pretty religious background. Um, mm -hmm. I think Baptist would be the Southern, Southern Baptist. Or yeah, just, mostly Baptist. Most Baptist yeah. A couple of different flavors of Baptist, but Southern Baptist <laughs> is one of them. There are yeah. a lot. There, yes, yes. As I learned, I did not know that when um, I was living in Atlanta initially. Mm -hmm. um, and something that Rachel and I had discussed, and I'm wondering about your input on this. Do you think that values change over time or do you grow into them? Because you had said how you grew up, what was important to you, what, what you learned wasn't necessarily what you held on to. Right. Um, I, I think that, I think it can change or like perceived to change as we discover more about ourselves because there's this process um, like of 
if you want to call it faith development or spiritual development, where we, you know, we grow up in whatever system we grow up in, whoever's taking care of us may, you know, take us to a church or a synagogue, you know, or a mosque and, or they may have um, nature-based beliefs or whatever it is. And there comes a point at some point in our um, development that we have to make a decision. Does this still work for me? Or what pieces of this still work for me? And um, the tradition that I grew up in um, had a real emphasis on, um, you know, more dogma, um, faith, but a particular kind of faith, one that was um, very structured. And, you know, there was certain ways to interact with the divine. And I mean, even to the point that we would have these little envelopes for our, we'd put our offering in. I remember when I was a kid in Sunday school and on the, on the little envelope, it would have little check boxes. Like, did I bring my Bible? Did I, you know, ask anybody, did I invite somebody to church today? I mean, so. Do you get like extra points in heaven when you do that? I, I think so. Maybe I think that that was part of it. A point. But mm-hmm. you definitely got extra, you definitely got extra points, you know, there at church. Which is and important. Which was important there. It was. And I think that I would still say, like, in, in the core of that, that that spirituality part of me, that existential, humanistic kind of piece that has, has true compassion, works on true compassion. I can't say that I, I have attained it, but that's important to me, has always been there. But some of the other pieces, maybe some of the lesser um, kind of other values I've, I've, I've set aside. So it's important for me to be able to know where I stand and, and where do I find my peace and where is it that I need to go plug in to refuel. And um, so it's, I do think it's changed a bit because I believe a differently in some ways but honestly you know I'm still have a good relationship with my family members and we can we can have a conversation that doesn't take very long to we come down to some core values of in general caring about people mm-hmm. and you know wanting people to be safe and to have, be, have security we have different way ideas about how that happens so yeah I, I think if I had to say, I think um, younger, I think I was told what my values were. Right. And now I get to decide what they are. Right. right. Well, I find so, it yeah. so interesting that you work with um, the age group that you work with, because what it sounds like to me is you're, you're working with the age group that's trying to figure that out. They're coming out of their home. They're coming out of being told what their values are and they're kind of being dumped into this environment where a lot of people have never experienced this type of um, aloneness, you can say, like you're really far away from your known community. And here you are as that kind of support system with the understanding that you kind of went through that shift as well. Um, And I just, I find that really nice because being somebody in that same age group, a little bit older, but Now, it's, it's a, it is that time period where people start to question or grow into or learn about other people's values that come from different areas and different religions. And, you know, it's that first time where I feel like for a lot of people, diversity is, is exposed and questioning your values comes up. 
when you go to college. Yeah. 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 And there's this, I mean, there's sort of this idea of like this value of go off to college, you know, that's important, but don't change what you believe. So, um, yeah, I wonder how that works for people. <laughs> I don't think it, that's where they land in your office. <laughs> yeah. And you're right. I think, especially with folks who, um, um, are a bit younger, you know, they're, they're, they're doing what, you know, from a psychological perspective, we would support. It's the developmental stage where you go out and start trying these things out and you have to, you know, pull away a bit from your family, not, not necessarily in love, but in your actions to become an independent person and to be able to take care of yourself and get a job and have a partner or whatever you desire to do. Um, and, you know, it can create uh, some real dilemmas from people whose, uh, especially their faith tradition is one that is um, a more narrow and like you need to stay in the faith. Or if you, you know, are into somebody from a different tradition and, and, and I am really fortunate. I get to work with people from all over the world. So, you know, I've got this, uh, you know, my background, I grew up in, um, in Georgia. So I have this Christian and Baptist kind of background that I grew up, but I, you know, I hear, I've got people from all over the world, people who are still, you know, their families, um, want to arrange a marriage for them. And they're, you know, have been in the States maybe since they were a kid or maybe they were first generation. And they're, you know, they love their family. They love their tradition, but that may not be their path. So there are a lot of tensions and a lot of heart, can, it can be heartbreaking too. There's a lot of different versions of, of coming out, I think, you know, not to mm. make it too simplistic. But if you say to your family, you know, some version of like, I, I love you, but um, this is not my path. Mm. And um, I, maybe I believe differently. Um, it can be really devastating. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, that's so true. Um, there's that idea that, you know, I'm different on whatever level that is, whether that's um, I have a different faith. I have a different um, idea of family. I have uh, a different idea of who I want to be when I grow up. I don't want to be a doctor. I want to be a comedian, mm -hmm. you know? I <laughs> right. And it is. It can be really painful. I also wonder, is, is that something that continues through life? Or do you think just it's primarily something that we experience between, you know, 17 and 28 or nine or something like that. Do you think that those kinds of shifts happen that are those sort of individuation bits? Well, I, you know, I, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to this. I think some of it is circumstance. Some of it is choice, perhaps. Um, I do think there are a lot of them that happen in that time in your life, but I'm so fortunate to um, work with a diverse group of folks and uh, both in the, the students that I see, but also my colleagues and um, some of my, fr you know, my friends. And um, I'm, I, um, when I think about like some of my, some of my values or characteristics, like being like brave and super high energy is not one of them. 
However, <laughs> I'm a very, I'm a very curious person. <laughs> and I really want to know, you know, I, and I, and I gain a lot of um, insight and intuition into my own life when I'm willing to step out of my comfort zone. So to say, if, if we choose to step out of our comfort zone throughout our lifetime, then I think it can always be a challenge. You know, I, I had some really honest conversations with um, two of my uh, wonderful colleagues who are African-American women today, and they're uh, wonderful in allowing me to talk about uh, around the election and around um, still some lingering lingering issues around, you know, race and inequity and equality and all those things. And, you know, if I said that, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable having any, no, I'm not perfectly comfortable having any conversation with anyone, but I want to get more comfortable. And so finding like seeking out. So I say, I mean, I still, I still put myself in, in situations that give me a stomach ache. <laughs> You know, it's sort of like what we were talking about earlier. Like I used to get a stomach ache before I would go to Six Flags, our big theme park down here. But I love riding roller coasters, but I would get, I mean, I'm, I'm one that would scream and be scared, but it kind of felt good. So you're saying that when you're working, you're screaming on the inside and you're scared. <laughs> Sometimes. God yes. knows I am. <laughs> Yes, those are those mindful moments when um, I try to remember some of that training and say, oh, I'm feeling like my, I have a claw in my chest. <laughs> Curious how that's shown up. Wonder what's going on for me. <laughs> and having that, you know, go back to the self-compassion of like, this is my experience and to not be freaked out about my freak out. You know, I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to work a new muscle that's pretty weak and, you know, better late than never. I'm curious on how you, you went from, or rather, I guess, what age did you start to kind of realize that maybe what you were feeling and what your values were started to differ from your household and your religion, which from what I'm hearing was very much intertwined. Mm-hmm. I remember having an experience when I was, I think I was in second grade and uh, I was in a, a church school and it was very evangelical. And I remember we were in like a chapel and they were telling us about salvation, how to get to heaven you know, and how we were sinners and all that kind of stuff. And I had heard that story and I had, you know, said the prayer of salvation when I was five. And it was confusing to me why, um, because I, I, being a sensitive person, um, it's hard to sit and hear people um, talking in a way, I'm, I'm like, I'm really sensitive to kind of tone. And it felt like, they kept telling us like we were doing something wrong and I was trying so good to be good. And I think that I had a dissociative experience in there. Like I 
uh, got double vision. And I, I got disoriented and I was seeing double and, you know, I had to be taken to the school nurse and it was, you know, it was an actual experience for me, but it certainly got me out of that chapel where I felt like I was being yelled at for being bad. And, you know, I think that it was really early on that I felt um, a little different because, you know, I'm, I'm one of these folks that's, uh, I'm, I'm a very feelingful person, but I'm also a bit analytical. And when things don't make sense to me, I have a hard time, you know, like swallowing it. And I, there were things I was taught to believe that just didn't in, inside of me make sense. And some of it, I mean, I think especially came from some of the really conservative churches, um, more so than from my parents, but um, it was uh, a preferential treatment of boys over girls, for instance, and not really understanding that or accepting difference. And um, it, was, uh, it was a pretty white group of people of kids in there. There were a couple of people who were African-American, but I remember that them being very much in the minority and nothing about what that was like for them was ever discussed. And so eventually, I mean, we, my, we moved around a lot with my, my, my dad's job and I ended up in um, begin, being given a choice and I went to a public high school. So I think that it's internally it started, but I just didn't have any language for that, you know, just be able to say, it doesn't make sense to me that you're saying this story is literally true. Um, and I mean, it's a wonderful story, but, you know, like a Joan and the Whale or things like that. I'm like, I, you know, I, I struggled and I felt shame because that was considered like doubt, doubt. And when I, um, by the time that I went to undergrad school, um, it was still, a, you know, a pretty uh, conservative school, actually. But I started meeting people from different walks of life. And that was also during a time when my, uh, my cousin uh, died of AIDS. And this was about uh, after I graduated, kind of going into grad school, and he was a wonderful, beautiful person, and, and you know, the family was really devastated by that, and I re I'd remembered, you know, he had had a friend at a family reunion, but, and they were, you know, like playing the piano together, but I didn't really have a concept of like, oh, he's gay, and, and so, I started making these friendships with people who were different than me and people who were gay and lesbian. And I, and that continued into graduate school and, you know, I, I love them and I felt so much acceptance and I, and, and so I just, once I got into graduate school and especially that first job of, um, when I was working in the adolescent psychiatric hospital that I remember having um, a very young girl, probably 13, who was pregnant and needing to make a decision about that. And, you know, that was a real challenge for me because, you know, my church was very pro-life. 
I'll say that I just, I struggled with all of that. I became very depressed in my early 20s and um, started some therapy, started some medication for a little while. I remember going to my pastor saying, something's wrong and I can't pray. And basically him saying, well, you just need to pray. Well, okay. Um, you know, just pray I, about praying. Pray, pray. <laughs> well, I pray that you'll be able to pray. I, okay, I can do that. But also every time I drive home from my job, I have to go over this long bridge and I'm thinking about driving off of it. So, you know, it was really tough. I mean, it put me in kind of a dark night of the soul and that's what I needed. Thank heavens. I had people to support me and, and to get to the other side of that. But to your point earlier about like, I, I lost my solid ground of like, this is what you do in the, every situation. Um, but it, it helped me begin to work on my own empathy for other people's stories and empathy for myself that sometimes I suffer too. And it's hard to hear stories and, um, we're all trying to do the best we can, but I, 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 I had let go. I mean, it, it had never felt comfortable for me. The evangelical part of my faith tradition had never felt um, in line. Now, me having my own interior experience with, uh, you know, the universe, the divine, with God, you know, that's, that's there. Um, and it's, it's morphed and developed into something um, that is sustaining, but... Um, but it's definitely been challenging. It's definitely been challenging. Something you said really struck a chord with me. And that is you talked about having the language to, yeah. um, a language for your emotion to be able to say what it was that you were feeling. And I think, and I'm going to make a gross generalization here. I don't think our society necessarily supports our naming our feelings. And when we talk about values, I think people can get stuck. And I will say this for myself. Um, I have gotten hung up on, on lack of language, a lack of a description to understand what is happening inside. And so that just, that really struck me. And, you know, what about, what, what's, what are your thoughts about that? Either Rachel or Julie? Well, I was just thinking about it. Um, <laughs> well, we talked about this um, going off to college language and this, this, you go to college to grow up. That is why people go to college to grow up. But yet when you get there and you're thrown to the wolves, there's no, nobody there to give you guidance. Like you said, Dina, there's no uh, catering to this um, confusion about identity society influencing, family influencing, religion influencing. There's no guidebook to tell you which direction to follow. And, and then you have people who just follow the one path. I'm just going to follow what society is going to tell me to do, or I'm going to just follow the path of what religion tells me to do. And then you have people that wake up 20, 30, 40 years from now, and they're like, wait, where did I make any of these decisions? And I think it comes from what we're talking about is, is not having, because I, I don't think it's about not having the awareness because I think people have the awareness. I think it's being able to articulate that to somebody who can nurture a response. 
And yeah. being able to say, and I think that's why Julie, you're in such an amazing position coming from the background you do, coming from all the aspects that you do to say, hey, I was in the same boat. These are all the avenues that I was faced with. And this is then how I navigated my own path that felt true to who I am. And I think that that's missing in in a lot of stages of life because we all go through these different stages of life that happen and those pivotal moments of like Dina and I were talking last week. I feel like I have this value that's going to come later on in life, but who's going to be there at that crossroad to kind of give me a little bit more information about finding that out? Absolutely. And I would certainly say to anyone who has experienced, um, uh, you know, some challenges growing up, in, you know, whatever uh, system or philosophy was in your household and you felt a little differently that to find a place to just begin the conversation, you know, sometimes it's a matter of just, you know, I need a readjustment, but there's also, there also can be trauma. And even Mm -hmm. if it wasn't meant to be traumatic, um, it can be traumatic. I think that a lot of the source of um, my anxiety that I've struggled with for my whole life started in those places of me having to, like, I can't say anything. So I have to hold it in because if I say anything or if I question, I will get in trouble. I will get in trouble and, um, or be ostracized or made fun of, or, you know, um, And even that sort of fear of like not quite understanding, well, who, who is God or who is the creator or what, what is this entity? Is this someone who's out to punish me constantly? And so you can even become isolated within that and, and hiding out and not, um, I have a different view on sort of our ideas of meditation or prayer now. And I feel like, um, you know, the universe, God, our creator can take it, whatever it is that I need to say, they can take it. Now, not every person in my life appreciates everything I have to say, but, you know, so I, yeah, I definitely encourage folks to, to say it, even if it's just right in that kind of sacred, you know, confidential, Julie's got a license and wants to keep her job, you know, (laughs) moment to just say it and let's, you know, let's, let's hold it for a minute. And sometimes there are people, you know, the, the campus that I'm on has a lot of graduate and professional programs. So I have a lot of younger folks I work with, but I have people that I work with that are, are much older than me. Um, So, you know, I, I, sometimes it's frustrating, you know, to see someone suffering or they, when they come in really defended. I try to remind myself, but they've come in. Yeah. You know, they've come in. So you'll be okay, Julie. You'll go see your therapist and talk to your <laughs> friend. You know, like, you'll be all right. Hang in there. And, you know, and, and to try, the, it's not that I never feel like, ooh, that doesn't, you know, that's that stung what someone might have said or their energy, but, you know, they're showing me what their experience in the world is and, you know, and where they're hurting and having some suffering. Yeah. I think it's so wonderful. Cause you've, I don't know if you've noticed that you've mentioned it, but 
throughout this time that we've been together, this value of yours of compassion and the way that you speak just comes back and back again. And it's just so, I think when you find somebody that is anchored in a value or multiple values, it becomes everything that they are. This whole conversation is really just validating the fact that you're an extremely compassionate person and that that is whether that came and was influenced with your family and your religious background, you morphed it to be what it is to you today. And like we talked about values changing or values growing or growing into them. I think your value of compassion is a perfect example of taking it to mean one thing in a religious space and then opening it up to mean so much more with both yourself, your friends and your colleagues and the, and the students you serve. And I just, it's honey to my ears. It's that sweet honeyness to just hear somebody so, so just illuminating in their value. And you, you really, it really comes off. I, um, um, Rachel, I really appreciate that perspective, I, you know, in, in the past couple of days, thinking about um, talking to you guys, I, I thought about the word compassion and love and how, how are those different or are they different or similar? And um, I feel like the, the compassion is something that I, I, maybe I had some empathy or some, you know, as a child, uh, being a sensitive person, you know, but that as a concept, I really was only introduced to it in a way that it just really resonated with me. And um, there's a couple of Buddhist monasteries in Atlanta that offer free training. And I, you know, so I went over there with the you know, with the Zen Buddhist, and I went down the street a little further with the Tibetan Buddhist, and I just sat and just learned and listened, and it it was a framework that that makes sense to me because, you know, when I think of love, I I think of a relationship, like a relationship, a reciprocal relationship. You know, like I. You know, I, 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 I love um, my, my little handful of very close friends. I, um, I, you know, I love my little dog that I had to say goodbye to. I love my husband. Um, and I, and the older I've gotten, the, I would say the, the fewer close friends I have because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's deep for me, you know, it's um, like, I'll give you a kidney kind of, you know, but it, it comes back. Compassion is, it's sort of, there, there's a little bit of, uh, it, it allows for a little bit of objectivity, a little bit of distance, uh, you know, it's, and, and I need that sometimes when, um, you know, in order to work with people that are from very different backgrounds for me, d- different political views, religious views, um, ways of being in the world that, um, you know, I, I'm still me. And sometimes I, you know, I may have the thought like, oh, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have done that. But, you know, but I try to come back to, <laughs> it's not about you, Julie. <laughs> Let's uh, like, you know, save that for your, you know, supervision and coming back to 
you know, what, what is, what is that person's story and to help them be the best, whatever it is they want to be. It but sounds, compassion, yeah. Yeah. It sounds to me, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, no, go ahead. Um, but I did. Um, <laughs> uh, so it, it sounds like different levels in a sense of connectedness mm. when you're talking about compassion versus love. And I love the way that you differentiated those two. And I have to say, it has been just so amazing to hear you again and to talk with you because I have missed this so much. You always help me to look at things in a different way with a, a different wow. lens and always with that compassion. And um, that's one of the biggest reasons I wanted to have you as our guest. I wonder, I wonder not everyone who's going to be listening to this podcast is self-actualized, who has done all kinds of work. And they may be listening because this is an opportunity to find out, just sort of start exploring their values through other people's thoughts and ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, that you said at first, and I think this um, is that there's a pause that needs to happen, a pause to feel that to feel who you are in a sense, right? To allow space for these other things, a pause to journal, a pause to look around and see that lantana bush, which I don't even know what the heck that is, but I'll trust you on that one full of bluebirds and squirrels. Apparently it's amazing. It had a bunch of crowds around it this morning. So, you know, like party central. Um, (laughs) So, you know, I just, I guess, a gift it sounds like that we could all give ourselves is a gift of a pause and space. Would that be? I think that's a beautiful way to put it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I love the approach that you guys and the questions you're asking. I think that that is um, something to consider in just beginning to talk about values and to, and, and having the you know, all of the the patience and generosity to realize, um, okay, this is what I think off the top of my head, but, you know, is this, is this really it? Or am I kind of um, remembering something that used to be important, but I haven't really thought about it. And I think that having the dialogue and looking at, okay, here's my values and then seeing, well, um, is there evidence of that? Or Mm. am I putting myself in places where I can, I can nurture that. That's too. a really good point. Yeah, I like that. I like the way you put that. Well, Julie, thank you so much. And it has been just so wonderful to sit here with you for this last hour and <laughs> see your see your beautiful face and smile, hear you laughing and talking. As I've said, I, I, I miss it tremendously. And I'm glad that um, Rachel got an opportunity to meet you. Oh, I'm so, I'm just beaming. I had anxiety coming into this, just like you, you know, you said, and like just sitting here listening to you and just, I think all of us from start to finish, the conversation just became easy. And I Mm -hmm. just love moments like that. That always makes me happy. It's always inspiring to talk to people, especially women who are so, concrete in their way of thinking and come from such a different background than what they're putting forth today. And it just inspires me to continue on the path that I'm going and surround myself with people 
like you, like her, like other guests that we're going to have on the show and just learn from, from people who are more experienced in life than I am. Yeah. I think that was a, a, I had a great time and I'm looking forward to our next interview as well. So we'll see everybody next week. Bye.